Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, is in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. The title of the sermon, Bible study, for this week and next week is this, God is greater than sin's darkness. God is greater than sin's darkness. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the wonderful truths it contains that each week we can come and sit and study. Spirit of God, lead and guide us into all truth. As I speak uh, truth tonight, or when I speak truth tonight, would you, Lord, just put a check mark uh, on the, in the hearts of each one as sentences are given, thoughts are conveyed. Spirit of God, just confirm for us in each one of our hearts, and Lord, help us to walk out of here better, having a better knowledge of your word. We think of uh, what you said in John 8, that the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, Lord, help us to know truth and be made free by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, when I sit to study these Bible passages, I get into Isaiah uh, each week. I get into the book and I'm studying and putting these things together. And uh, Have you ever picked up a newspaper, maybe you've gone on an air, airplane flight, a flight, and gotten the magazine out of the back of the holder there, and you know, you got the where you got to unscramble the sentences or unscramble the words, or you got to guess the crossword puzzle to figure out uh, what, what the secret message is. How do you know what I'm talking about? You've worked those type of things before. And uh, I feel that way a little bit when I'm reading through Isaiah. Like there's some cryptic messaging here, and we've got to work a little bit to get at it. But a couple of things on that, okay? First, anything worth having, you ought to have to work at it a little bit, all right? How many of you have ever read through a book of the Bible and thought, I have no idea what any of that meant? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. You know what that means? It means you're going to have to work at it to understand it. But after you work at it, boy, it makes it that much more valuable. So when you come in on Wednesday evenings, I want you to put on your thinking cap. I want you to come in prepared. I've done the work, all right, the best I know how. I have studied. I have, uh, let's see, I have... Uh, uh, chewed on mentally the passage, and I have digested the passage, and I've taken it from meat to milk. But if you don't listen, uh, you don't come with an open mouth. I can't stick the bottle in there, all right? You've got to come ready to go. You've got to come ready to learn. The second thing I would tell you uh, about this is that those goofy, trivial crossword puzzles you do on a plane or out of a magazine... They have no significance to your life. This is eternal truth that will change your life. I mean, if you'll really let it, the Word of God will really make an impact and a difference in your day-to-day life. So um, we're going to talk about how that God is greater than sin's darkness. And uh, just to preface here, uh, God came down uh, and created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And for the first 2,000 or so years of humanity, God did not work through a specific people group. God worked with all people. Uh, He worked through the nations. The nations, the first 2,000 years... God worked with 
the nations. And then about, give or take, 2,000 years into human history, God came along and he picked Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, changed his name to Abraham, Sarai, changed her name to Sarah, his wife. And uh, through this couple, God gave them a beautiful young boy named Isaac. And then, and then Jacob, who would have his name changed to Israel, and then 12 sons to Israel. And from there we get the Jewish people. And so uh, from Abraham, for about, give or take, the next 2,000 years, God would work through the Jews. The Jews. Now, did God quit caring about the rest of the people of the world? No, but he was working specifically through the Jews. And you can go back to Genesis 12 and you can read that and even find in the Abrahamic covenant that all of the people of the world would be blessed. But for a while, God would focus more on the Jewish people than he would the rest of the nations. And then you get to the last 2,000 years, give or take again, and God is now working through the church era, the church era. And so uh, here we're right smack dab in the middle of God working uh, through the Jews, and the Gentiles may have felt a little neglected and forgotten, and God takes a chapter out of Isaiah chapter out of Isaiah chapter 42, and He tells us that there will be a light to the Gentiles, and you don't have to wander in darkness. So we're going to look at what that light is, and how all that works, and how that you and I can walk in the light today. So let's jump in to the passage tonight. If you look at Isaiah 42, there are four paragraph up markings. Verse one. And then you look down and you got verse 5. That's our second paragraph marking. And then you got, uh, let's see here, verse number 10 and then verse number 18. And so four paragraph markings to give us four distinct thoughts. And so there are four points uh, that I've put down, four thoughts out of Isaiah 42 that help us understand. Let's jump in. Number one, notice uh, the spirit of the Messiah. The spirit of the Messiah. Now, when verse 1 talks about... Uh, my servant, uh, mine elect, that is speaking about the prophesied Jesus. And uh, we'll, I'll show you that here uh, out of some passages in the New Testament that uh, correlate with Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. All right? So the spirit of the Messiah. Notice letter A, speaking of Jesus, notice his commission. His commission. Look at verse number 1 with me. The Bible says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delieth. Look here, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth, look here, judgment to the Gentiles. Now, there is a little bit of a dual prophecy going on right here. Uh, This could be speaking of Cyrus, and I think in part is speaking about Cyrus, but beyond speaking about Cyrus, this is speaking about Jesus the Christ. It's sort of like the Messianic Psalms we find, where David is writing a psalm, yes, about himself, but also he is writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, writing more about the Lord Jesus Christ than himself. Look down at verse number 4. The speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, verse 4, He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles, look here, shall wait for his law. This law of this elect, of this servant of God, is going to give us a law that affects every corner of the globe. And by the way, anytime you see that phrase, idols 
Idols there, look back at verse 4 of, of chapter 42. It says, uh, Idols uh, uh, shall wait for the law, uh, judgment in the earth. That idea of the isles means li- sort of like the four corners of the globe. Now, we know the earth not to have uh, corners, but what that means is that it's going to get to everywhere. This law is going to affect all people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. The commission of the Messiah was to come and do a very specific work. And the Spirit of God, verse 1 tells us, would be upon him. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 3. And if you want to help me uh, with sake of time, you see there both in your bulletin on the screen uh, the passages we're going to. You don't have to wait for me to tell you. Just go ahead and turn over there. Get out ahead of me. Matthew chapter 3 and look with me at verse number 13. And here we come to the baptism of Jesus. He's lived now 30 years. He has um, been the son of a carpenter and then done some carpentry work himself. And now it's time for him to enter into public ministry at the age of 30. And we're going to see here the Spirit of the Lord resting upon this Messiah. Verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be, not, uh, uh, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Look here. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, look here. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So his commission, Jesus was the servant of God and he came as a servant to carry out the work of God here on earth to bring judgment to the Gentiles or to provide a ruling to the Gentiles. We're going to explain what that means here a little bit better in just a moment. Look at Luke 4. Now, after Jesus was baptized, he's carried away into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after he's tempted of the devil, he comes out of the wilderness there. And um, look at Luke 4. We find this right on the heels of him coming out of the wilderness. Matthew 4, Luke 4, where we find the, the, the story of the wilderness encounter. So we saw Jesus baptized in Matthew 3. We know he's carried up in the wilderness. Luke 4, 14 follows right, falls right on the heels of those 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Look at Luke 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him that all the region round about. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified uh, of all, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Look here, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so we're getting ready to have Jesus picture this. So we're going to read what he read in just a moment. Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He goes into Galilee. That's like the state of Connecticut. Okay, the province. He goes into the city of Nazareth, which is in the province of Galilee. Uh, He grew up in Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue that he went to as a boy growing up. He goes over to where they keep the Holy Scriptures. He picks up the parchment of the book of Isaiah, the very book we're studying. And he turns over to what is our 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah. And he reads a fulfillment of prophecy 
of himself. Look here. Look at verse uh, number 17. And there was delivered in him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place which, uh, where it was written. Again, Isaiah 61 in our Bibles. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Look at the commission here. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Wow, what a moment that must have been. To see Jesus read the fulfillment of the prophecy written about him. We see here his commission. Go back to Isaiah 42. Again, look at verse 1. Now in light of what we've read, we're, we're decrypting, we're understanding what Isaiah 42 means. Behold my servant, speaking of Jesus, whom, whom I uphold, mine elect, uh, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. The spirit descending like a dove. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Again, verse 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. He's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. Till he hath set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He stayed the course. He did not quit. He went all the way to the bitter end until he had fulfilled the commission by which he had been sent. Or for which he had been sent. Letter A. His commission. We're looking at the spirit of the Messiah. Look at letter B. We see his constraint. His constraint. Verse 2 and 3 give us more evidence that this is not speaking solely of Cyrus, but also speaking of Jesus, or more importantly speaking of the coming Messiah, the Christ, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Flip over just a few pages to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, whoever this is, this servant of God, this elect uh, in whom the soul of God delighteth, he, he's going to show quite a bit of constraint when, uh, when a normal person would cry, when a normal person would lift up their voice, uh, this servant doesn't do that. He holds his peace. He is silent. He shows constraint. Look at Isaiah 53, and we know this prophecy again to be a messianic prophecy of the suffering of Christ. Look at verse 7. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Look here. Yet he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Look here. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Again, Isaiah 42, verse 2. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Imagine Jesus walking down what's been called the Via Dolorosa, the way of pain, the way of suffering. He's walking down that path with the cross on his back. The enemies of, 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 of Messiah are hurling rocks and insults his direction. Did he cry in the streets? Did he defend himself? No, his voice was not heard. Instead, he crumbled beneath the weight of the cross. In fact, Peter, who was around then, not where he should have been, but was around then, right later in his own epistle to the churches, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21. He talks about how Jesus suffered and how that he was silent. He showed great constraint. He did not avenge his own cause. 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse number 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving an example that ye should follow His steps. Speaking of Jesus here, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Who His own self bare our sin in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Again, it says there, uh, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. This servant of God in Isaiah 42 is sent down uh, to fulfill a very specific purpose to bring judgment to the Gentiles or a light to the Gentiles. And did he, did he uh, rebuke? Did he revile when he was reviled? Uh, did he uh, threaten when he was being uh, suffering unjustly? No, he showed great constraint. His commission, his constraint, look at letter C, his compassion. His compassion. Go back to Isaiah chapter 42 with me. And uh, we're going to be looking at a, a couple of verses in John here in just a moment. But look at uh, verse number 3, Isaiah 42 and verse 3. The Bible says, A bruised reed shall he not break. Okay, so you have a, a stick that's half broken. You know what the temptation to do is? It's to go ahead and finish the job, right? Snap that, snap that puppy in half. But there's a bruised reed. He's not going to break it because he's gentle. Okay, look at, look at it. It says, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He's not going to come along and put out the fire. He shall bring forth, look here, judgment unto truth. Now, uh, if you're a student of the Bible, there are a couple of descriptors of Christians and those who do right. Okay, Light is one descriptor. We're going to get that descriptor a little bit deeper in the chapter. But another one that's associated with and really synonymous with light is truth. Truth. You can't walk in light without walking in truth. If you're walking in truth, then you're walking in the light. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. John tells us, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. And so uh, the way to heaven is well lit because it's Jesus Christ who is lighting the path. He is uh, the light and He is truth. And when we walk with Jesus and we have a relationship with the Messiah or the Christ or Jesus, then we walk in Truth. Now, with that said, look back at the end of verse number 3. It says, He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. That means judgment will be executed in perfect justice, in perfect fairness. Justice, will, judgment will be brought into truth, Jesus being the truth. Now, look at, um, speaking of His compassion, look at John chapter 18 and verse 37. By the way, while you're turning there, John 1 is laying out for us that Jesus is God. It says that He's the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 continues and says that His ministry was full of grace and truth. Jesus is that balance 
of grace and truth. Interesting Bible study. You don't have the time to get into it right now. God the Father in the Old Testament is described as a balance of mercy and truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is described as a balance of grace and truth, marking a new era or a new covenant. Again, I'm getting, getting a little bit ahead of myself. That's deeper into the Bible study here. And um, we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But Jesus is that perfect balance of grace and truth, meaning uh, he is he is that ball of steel, that truth, that ball of steel, but he's wrapped in a layer of velvet so as to not destroy, but yet to uh, be impactful. Some people are all grace and they're no truth. They're like a ball of velvet. They're fluff. There's nothing to them. Other people are like the ball of steel with no velvet, right? They just smash everything in its path. And Jesus was neither. He was grace and truth. He was truth wrapped in love. Uh, think of it this way. you got a bloodhound dog that needs to take a pill or it's going to die. And the dog refuses to take the pill. How do you get the dog to take the pill? You wrap it up in a slice of bologna and you feed the dog the bologna and you know what? You're feeding him the pill at the same time. And uh, that's exactly it. God takes truth and he wraps it in grace and makes it more palatable for us because he is a God of compassion. Now, before we get into John 18, here's the reality. Sin has a price. And the price is death. And God has every right to pick us up as humanity and throw us into hell. Has every right. Jesus came to earth to set sinners free from said penalty. Look at John 18 and we see him doing that. Verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Again, this is that constraint. Okay, This is that Messiah on his commission showing constraint. Thou sayest that I am a king. To the end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Why? God is greater than our darkness. He's greater than the errors. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And you've heard me say this if you've attended any length of time. Uh, that's the wrong question, Pilate. It's not what is truth. It's who is truth. And he's standing right in front of you. Alright? You got the wrong question. What is truth? Uh, and when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Well, you've judged well, Pilate. There's no fault in this man. But ye have a custom that I shall release unto you uh, one at the Passover. Uh, will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Look down at verse number, or chapter 19 and verse number 28. Look at chapter 19 and verse number 28. And now we find Jesus. He's been flogged. Uh, he's been um, humiliated. Uh, spat upon, beard ripped, uh, crown of thorns placed on his head, cross laid on his back. He's been uh, uh, drug up the hill uh, outside of town called Golgotha or Calvary, place of the skull. He's had nails driven in his hands and his feet. He's been lifted between heaven and earth. Uh, he's been mocked by the, uh, the, the, the chief priests. Uh, he's been questioned um, uh, sarcastically by the thief dying next to him. His garment has been um, uh, gambled over at the base of the cross. And uh, now uh, verse 28. Look at verse 28, chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Look at the compassion here. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, look here, it is finished. What was finished? The payment for my sin. And the payment for your sin. Isn't that something? He finished what he had been sent here to do. He saw it through to the end. Why? It took great compassion to do that. I sat with a, 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 a young lady. Uh, a church member brought her sister to me. I sat back here in the room next to my office just last week, me and these two ladies. And I asked the young lady, I said, um, do you know what it means to be saved? And I just went through the facts of the gospel. Please hear what I'm saying. And she just nodded her head. Then I started getting into the story of Jesus. What he had done. I used a vivid illustration to help her understand. And big old crocodile tears formed in her eyes. And she began to weep. She said this to me before she left my office. She said, I knew the facts. But I didn't really understand what Jesus had truly done for me. She got saved before she left my office. She bowed her head to get saved. Do you understand the sacrifice? The amount of compassion Christ had to fill. To not call down the legions of angels and stop His crucifixion. We see here the Messiah, the Spirit of the Messiah. It is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that rested on Jesus and brought about the possibility for us to know the Lord. Number one, we see the Spirit of the Messiah. Notice number two, the salvation of the Gentiles. The salvation of the Gentiles. By the way, uh, the Jews, when they would go through Isaiah, they liked to skip this chapter because they didn't like the Gentiles. And uh, this wasn't their favorite chapter. Now, us Gentiles, we love this chapter, right? And Gentiles have continued to circle back to this chapter for millennia, uh, but uh, wasn't necessarily enjoyed. Let's, we're going to move on to the second paragraph in Isaiah 42 and look at the salvation of the Gentiles. Letter A, notice their creator. Speaking of uh, Jew and Gentile of mankind, but specifically the Gentiles, look at their creator. Look at verse 5 of Isaiah 42 with me. Thus saith God the Lord. Oh, this is a beautiful verse. He that created the heavens and stretched them out. Let me pause right there. All right. Some people wonder if the earth is only six to ten thousand years old, how can we view the stream of light from stars that are uh, millions of light years away? All right, I got an answer for you. Okay, check this out. All right, God, according to this verse, created the stars right next to planet Earth. All right, when He was creating the Earth back in the beginning. And then he took his hands and he stretched them away from the earth like this. And he left millions of years of a light stream for us to see. You say, oh, pastor, that's not what that says. Look back at verse 5 and let's read it again and tell me if that's not what that says. All right, Verse 5, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He stretched them out. 
Uh, we see the stars. How, long, how wide are the arms of God? He can reach down and pull the stars at a distance and leave that stream of light for us to see. If you have any question about it, I'm a young earther. I believe the earth is not all that old. Look at, back at verse 5. And stretch them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. Look here. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 2. And I'm going to give you just a few thoughts here about life. Because we said that uh, there, there are some things that are synonymous with light. We said truth is synonymous with light. And watch this. Life is synonymous with light. God is the giver of life. And uh, when we uh, abide in God, we enjoy life. By the way, I hope you hear what I'm about to tell you. There are two cultures that are in direct opposition in our world right now. There is a culture of life and there is a culture of death. And a lot of the euthanasia and abortion and uh, limiting uh, how many uh, children people have around the world, population uh, control, and uh, a lot of those things fit uh, the LGBT agenda, fit under a culture of death. You say, how does the LGBT agenda fit under a culture of death? Two women can't have a baby together, and two men can't have a baby together, so there's your population control. It's a culture of death, and in stark contrast, you have a culture of life. God gives life, and listen, as you look at the culture of death out there and the culture of life, you should always, Christian, fall on the side of life. Always pick life because God is the giver of life. Look at verse Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse number 6. We see the creation of the first man. It says, And there went up uh, a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Look here. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, is that just metaphorical or did that actually happen? I believe that actually happened. I believe God came down and with his very hands, he reached down in the dirt and he formed the very first man and he got everything set just right and you had a lifeless body laying on that ground and then God came down and put his mouth on the nose of Adam and breathed into Adam's nose the breath of life. In fact, everyone here, put your hand in front of your face like this and breathe out. That's your breath. That's your spirit. As you speak, what you feel is your breath against your hand and your words come out as part of your spirit. Man became a spirit. God is the giver of life. Psalm 139. Turn over to Psalm 139 this evening. And we're in no rush to get through it tonight. We're just going to take our time and enjoy it. Psalm 139 and verse 13. If I could somehow cancel work for all of you on Thursday, we just stay here till midnight and enjoy the Bible study. But you all have work tomorrow, and i got work tomorrow, so uh, we're going to get home at a decent time tonight. Psalm 139, how many of you would make that trade? Stay here till 10 o'clock tonight doing the Bible study and skip work tomorrow. How many of you make that trade? Okay, good. Most of you, not all of you, the ones that you didn't raise your hand, I guess you love, love your work more than you love the Lord. That's all right. We'll let it go. All right, Psalm, some of you are just not going to raise your hand no matter what I ask. Psalm 139, look at verse 13. The Bible says, For thou hast possessed my reins, David speaking here, 
Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. I, I had to come back to it because I just enjoyed it so much. Look here. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now look here. The word substance in verse 15. We're going to read that word twice in the next few verses. The word embryo in 1611, when the Bible was translated, the word embryo was not part of the English language. The, 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 the root Hebrew word translated substance in verse 16 is our modern day English word embryo. You want to know when life begins. Here David tells us it's in the embryonic stages. All right, I believe life begins at conception. Look at verse 16. My substance or my embryo was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my embryo yet being unperfect, my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. A little further down this chapter, it says that the Lord's thoughts are precious toward us and are more innumerable than the sands of the earth, the dust of the earth. Wow. God was there forming me and you in our mother's womb. He is the giver of life. And watch this now. God makes no mistakes. No mistakes. You know what? We know how the all of us are adults in here. Either your parents have the, the birds and bees talk with you or you're old enough to where you just figured it out. Amen? Uh, at this point. We all know how babies are made. But can I tell you that beyond just a husband and wife or a man and woman coming together, there's another factor and it's God. God's a part of that. He reaches down and he's that factor that brings about life. You're not a mistake. Your gender, uh, your, your, your biological sex was not a mistake. God made you exactly the way he wanted you. He gave you your eyes and your ears. He gave you all your uh, pros and what, what you would label as cons, right? Uh, someone says, well, a child with Down syndrome, God made a mistake. Oh, no, he didn't. child with autism, God made a mistake. Oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. God made them for a specific purpose. Remember the blind man? The, the, the disciple said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And God said, no, this isn't about someone sinning. I made him that way to bring me honor and glory. God makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. He's the giver of life. Not only is he the giver of life, he's the sustainer of life. Turn back to Psalm 54 and look at verse number 4. He's the sustainer of life. Verse 4, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Now, I'm not correcting the King James. I don't do that. But a synonym for the word uphold is sustain. He upholds or sustains my soul. The very fact that you have a soul that continues to live, that continues to function, a body that continues to work, God is the reason why your life is sustained. All right, look at uh, one chapter later, look at chapter 55, and look at verse 22. 
Some of you might need this tonight. This one verse might encourage you. Came in with a, a burden, came in with a struggle. Chapter 55, verse 22 tells you what to do with it. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. How many of you have learned how to do that in prayer? Right? You have a hard time? Boy, spend an extra little bit of extra time in prayer. Sometimes I have staff members that text me and say, Pastor, can I come in about 30 minutes late today? I need to spend more time in prayer. Uh, I'm a pastor, so you get, a, you get to get away with that one with me. I don't know if that would work with your boss uh, in a secular workplace. But listen, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Look here. And he shall sustain thee. Right? He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Who is the sustainer of life? It's God. Now, we should not tempt fate. Right? Remember when uh, the, uh, the devil, back in Matthew 4, Luke 4, took Jesus up on the top pinnacle of the temple and said, Throw yourself off! Because it's written that uh, the angels will not let you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. Right? Uh, my family went to, um, let's see, um, a sleeping giant in, uh, over in, was that Meriden the other day? Hamden, there it is. Okay, one of those cities up there. And uh, we went walking, and um, my kids are trying to, like, like scale the side of the mountain. I'm like, no, we're staying on the main path, and you're going to behave yourselves, right? Don't tempt fate, right? We're not trying to pull boulders down on top of our head like the poor little boy that died there back in the 1800s, right? We're going to behave ourselves. And uh, don't tempt fate, but at the same time, go live your life because God is the giver of life, and He's the sustainer of life. When he so decides, he will take your life. Look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And you know the story here. Uh, Job is um, doing right. He's hating or eschewing evil. He's mature, perfect in the sight of the Lord. And Satan comes to him and God says to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. And Job says, well, yeah, he's just doing that because you put this, uh, you know, protection around him. Remove the protection and let me out of him and he'll curse you to your face. And so, lo and behold, all of the evil that lands upon Job from Satan. And what, how does Job respond? Look at Job 1 and look at verse 21. And said, speaking of Job, naked came I out of my mother's womb. By the way, this is a great attitude to have. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you die penniless, and no, nothing to wear, and penniless, God is still good. Amen? He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. And when the Lord so decides to sign your death certificate and take you on, on home to glory, he, is, he will be the taker of your life. And Why? Because He is our Creator. He is our King. Next week, I'm going to give you letter B. Uh, you can write it in the blank there. Next week, the blank will be empty, but you can go and write it down now. We're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about their covenant. Speaking of the Gentiles, the salvation of the Jews, their covenant. Now, not only did he create us, he's going to give us a new covenant with the coming of this, this, this elect, this servant, this Messiah. What is this new covenant? I'll give you a little hint here. The word covenant uh, is another word for testament. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The New Testament ushers in an era of grace by which the Gentiles enter into the family of God and know salvation. Look at verse number 6 of Isaiah 42. And this will whet your appetite. Go home and study and um, look at this in a little bit more depth and even read the chapter several times so you're familiar with it next week. Look at verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness 
and will hold thine hand. This, he, right here he's speaking to the Jewish state. And will keep thee and give thee, look here, for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. There's that light. There's that greater than our darkness, than sin's darkness. The Jews would produce Jesus who would be the light, the covenant, the new light to the Gentiles. We're going to talk about what that means in great depth next Wednesday evening. I sure hope you'll be here.